Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 49. It's hard to believe, 49 already, of a series of episodes that we are calling Leading Others to Christ. During these episodes, those of you who have been listening and watching, you know that we are focused on evangelism. Uh, one of our goals, and we have many, but is to stir each other up, to stir each other up, as the Hebrew writer says, to love and good works, uh, but especially in the area of evangelism uh, and thinking about that, of how, how we can be better equipped to reach out to our friends or family or neighbors with the gospel of Christ. My name is Dan Barker, and I preach for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana, where I also serve as one of the shepherds. Uh, those of you that don't know, Franklin is about 20 miles south of downtown Indianapolis, uh, Indiana. Those of you that know me, uh, and certainly you would know this and listening to these episodes, know that I'm passionate about our subject today, passionate about evangelism. And I have been ever since I obeyed the gospel when I was 21 years old in, in Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, I've always been striving uh, to use some Bible phrases uh, since coming to understand the truth. I've been striving to teach others, to sow the seed, uh, to be a fisher of men, obviously a fisher of men and women, to make disciples, to persuade men and women, and to teach others how to teach. And I probably will keep using this verse, but I always think about what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, and obviously women, who will be able to teach others also. And then later in that same chapter, he uses this phrase, which I really like, to be useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So back before all this, about the time all this COVID nonsense started, came up with this idea of doing uh, interviews uh, using the Zoom and podcast. And, but to identify the Christians, the men and women, the fellow workers who are out there that are doing this, the ones that are leading others to Christ, once we identify them, to interview them, we want to learn more about them, where they are, why they're doing what they're doing, how they're doing it, uh, where they're currently working and all that. So we, uh, we need to get going today. So we're so excited today to have with us Philip Strong. Welcome, Philip. Good morning, man. Yes, uh, so glad you could take the time to be here with us. Uh, Philip uh, works with the uh, the Southport Church of Christ here in Indianapolis, so we're we're neighbors and uh, and have been able to spend. We need to spend more time together than we have, but I've enjoyed the, the times that Gay and I have been able to, to get with you and Donna. Uh, yeah, I think it's your turn to buy lunch, by the way. I think it is. I I think you're right. I think I'm glad you remembered that. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But. Um, but we, uh, again, are so excited. Well, we start these out, Philip, is we've been calling it the elevator pitch or the short bow. Of, for the ones that are listening, uh, you know, and what's fascinating, this is so still new to me, but we've got people all over the world that are listening to these podcasts. And it's just exciting to this old guy. But uh, I think the last time we looked, there was over five, in the last 90 days, 5,000 people had listened. And uh not to put the pressure on, but there's people listening. But anyway, uh, and uh, but people from all over the uh, all over the country and all over the world. So that's that's just so exciting. But tell everybody a little bit about Philip Strong. For example, where you were born, where you grew up, who taught you the truth, uh, kind of bring us up to speed. 
Uh, born in Nacogdoches, Texas, the um, oldest town, small town there in Texas. Spent all my life in East Texas, uh, north, south, or central, but always East Texas until five years ago, the 1st of July, we moved all the way to Indianapolis, but uh, grew up in a good congregation with Christian parents. Um, some early influences were James W. Adams, Ed Holt. Uh, a lot of good guys came in there and did meetings as well, but Bob Harkrider was especially a, a pivotal second father almost. I think he considered me one of his kids and did Don and I's wedding, but grew up in that congregation, began doing some preaching and teaching at 16, which means I've been at it for a long time now. Uh, but um, Bob uh, influenced me greatly, taught me a lot. Uh, other men as well that came in there and did meetings that I got to be real close with, D. Bowman, uh, Oliver Murray, some of those old guys. Some have passed on now, obviously, but a lot of those men very influential. David Smitherman, another one that uh, taught me a lot and encouraged me a good bit in preaching and teaching. So been at it a long time, spent um, 30 years now in three congregations. So. I'm a slow worker, I guess, would be the best way to describe that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and I told you, and those that have been listening, I try to feed off things that people say, but, and we've touched on this with several, uh, but you, uh, and I know you know the blessing, but you grew up in, in uh, with the blessings, of, you were around Christians from the get-go, if you will. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, just you mentioning, and you still remember the influence, even when you were a young guy, uh, even remember the names of the, of the men that came in there and held meetings and, and how that impacted you and eating with them and hanging out with them and all that. It just, uh, and I know we don't, sometimes maybe we forget about how, how people are listening and how the young people are listening to even the old ones that come in, Well, we hope they are listening, uh, but, uh, but it has such an influence, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And there were countless people within the congregation that weren't preachers, that taught Bible class and, and that told my parents, look, he's, he's fairly young, but he's ready to be baptized. And others that, the elders in that congregation, I graduated high school in May of 1983, and I think it was the fall of that same year, they turned me around and I started teaching the high school class. Wow. So I was teaching Bible class to some that were a year, year and a half younger than I was. But that kind of encouragement, I mean, there were no preachers in my family. My dad was an ag teacher. I grew up on a farm. And so all of these other influences, aside from the considerable influence of my parents, were tremendous for me. Well, I think we could we could spend uh, more time than we have. But, yeah, just the influences that are around us. Uh, that kind of leads to the next question that I have is why? All right. You grew up on a farm. I'm sure, you know, dad might've had some thoughts that, well, Philip's going to be a farmer like I am, or that met probably other family members and things that. I was uh, going to school for an ag business degree. Actually. I thought, yes, I thought I remember you telling me that. Yeah. So why did Philip Strong change? Why did you decide to do what you're doing? Why, why are you so passionate about, leading others to Christ, Philip? 
you know, it goes way back and I don't remember how old I was, but when my older brother got married, his new wife came over and was asking me some questions, trying to talk to the little brother kind of thing. And she said, well, Philip, what are you going to do when you, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I said, well, or what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, well, and I think I was 10, 11 at the time. I said, well, I don't really know what I want, want to do, but I feel like I'm going to wind up preaching. And it goes back really to my parents, uh, you know, a mother's pride and those kind of things, I guess. She said, Philip, you've got a good mind. You need to use it in ways that glorify God. And so uh, that that's kind of always stuck with me. My mother didn't have any uh, higher education. So just a high school diploma was as far as she got. Of course, dad had a teaching certificate and a master's and that, those kind of things. But it was just an obligation that here are some things that, that I understand, limited as they may be, that I can share with others. Well, so good. Um, tell us, uh, I mentioned Southport, the Southport congregation. Let's take just a couple of minutes and tell the ones listening about Southport, just what, what we would like to share. It's interesting. I've been asked many times how a Texas preacher who spent all his life in Texas wound up 900 miles north in Indiana. And two guys are partly responsible for that, Wilson Adams and Shane Carrington. Uh, Wilson, uh, who I did not know at the time, was doing a meeting down in East Texas at a congregation of a good friend of mine, Shane Carrington, there in Sulphur Springs. And Shane knew that I was getting ready to relocate and asked Wilson if he knew of any congregations. He said, well, yeah, actually I do. So there's one in Indianapolis. So Wilson didn't know me. Shane didn't know anything about the congregation in Southport. But between those two, they got me together with uh, Bill Perry and Jeff Dickey, the elders at the time. And uh, the, the rest is history. When we agreed to come, my wife had a contractual obligation with work that was going to re- require her to remain uh, several more months. And uh, I explained this to the elders and they said, oh, that's no problem. We've got 12, 13, 14, maybe 15 guys that can do a good job uh, doing a a lesson. And I said, well, what do you need me for? (laughs) And uh, it's a congregation with tremendous talent, tremendous ability, uh, much more so probably than any than I've ever been in. And that's not a slap against anyone else, anywhere else. Just tremendous talent and knowledge uh, throughout the congregation. And so I've, I've been honored to be a part of that and to hopefully add something to it, at least in small Texas ways. Well, uh, and I, I'll amen what you said, being right here close. I know a lot of the people at Southport and uh, – uh, just a, a real strong group, and uh, and so glad that uh, that you're there with them, and I know they're glad that you're there. Um, you know, um, let's do this. Let's. Uh, I know we talked a little bit the other day, and uh, there was something that you brought up that you wanted to make sure that we had time to talk about, and and uh, why don't you talk about? I think you call it the physical life cycle, the spiritual life cycle. Would Comparing. You share- Comparing the physical life cycle with the spiritual one, yes. it's We've lost something over the years with regard to personal evangelism. You're right. You've got 
several guys that have been on here that have had tremendous ideas about how to motivate people and getting people to understand and providing them avenues and ideas for doing personal evangelism. And, and all that I would add to that is, is this. We as human beings generally figure out ways to do what we want to do and what we feel obligated to do. But the problem is, is that at least in my lifetime, at least, uh, I think we have lost the obligation aspect of personal evangelism. And one of the things that, that I think illustrates that is comparing the physical life cycle and the spiritual life cycle. Jesus used parables and, and did basically exactly that, comparing the physical to the spiritual. So if you consider the physical life cycle, there's, uh, and, and obviously we want to be careful with this, but there's conception, there's seed that's implanted. Well, that relates obviously to the spiritual side of the things. In James 1 and verses 18 and also in 21, it talks about, you know, the word being implanted. That's the seed. Okay, back to the physical, then there's gestation that takes place. And, uh, you know, we've all had experiences where we've known somebody that sat in the pew and listened for years before they finally obeyed the gospel. Well, that's that seed gestating. There's some growth and some some development that is taking place within before birth takes place that, that's essential. Nine months in a human, it may be years in the spiritual. So there's, there's seed that's implanted, which is in conception. Then there's gestation. It's that pre-birth spiritual growth and development that precedes actual birth. Well, then obviously that gets us to the birth itself. We understand these things on the physical side, but we got to think about the spiritual side for just a moment. Conception, gestation, and then birth. In James 1 and 18, we're brought forth by the word of truth, which is pretty specific. So what we're seeing is the physical and the spiritual is tracking. The spiritual life cycle matches, corresponds to whatever you want to say, the physical life cycle. Well, after birth, then there's this process of, of growth and development outside after post-birth by which maturity is reached. Now, here's where we really need to stop and think about this. On at least one level or another, we can determine physical maturity by the ability to reproduce. Now, your wheels are turning. You're thinking about yep. that. Yeah. Because yep. you know we're going to compare it to the spiritual life cycle. Right. So on the physical, there's conception, there's gestation, there's birth, there's maturity. Well, that, that maturity takes place on the spiritual side of things as well. But the problem is, and I think here's where part of the breakdown occurs, we've been conditioned or, or allowed, whichever the case may be, to equate spiritual maturity to the number of years you've been a Christian. Uh -huh. yeah. And you and I both know people that have been Christians for years and have never spiritually matured. So how do we, re re how do we measure true spiritual maturity? Well, 
again, if we think about that physical side of things, when one is able to reproduce physically, at least on some level, they're physically mature. But we've divorced ourselves from the idea, from the concept of spiritual maturity being equated to the ability to reproduce spiritually. Very good. But in, in James, again, in, in the first chapter there, I think if you go back and look at verses 16 through 18, where it talks about receiving the word, and, and he talks about being brought forth in the past tense. So he's talking to people that are already Christians, and yet beginning in verse 19, he begins to talk about the things that are necessary to mature. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, putting aside filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, look at it closely from verse 21, receive the word implanted. That's not talking about the seed being implanted in our hearts that ultimately produced the birth. That's talking now to Christians about internalizing the word of God so that it manifests itself in our lives by being slow to speak, slow to anger, putting aside filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Those are processes of becoming mature spiritually so that when we get to the bottom part of verse 21, now in humility, we receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I don't think he's talking about the same thing in verse 21 that he did back in verse 18. He's talking about this growth and maturation process of having the word becoming part of us internally, who we are. Now, when that becomes part of who we are on the inside, it obviously becomes part of who we are on the outside. And that's what enables this spiritual reproduction. But for just a second, I wanna talk about 1 Peter 2, 9. James will continue in James just a second, but in 1 Peter 2, 9, we read that verse and, and we like the, like the part about us being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. But I'm reading your American Standard Version. What's the next word? That. That shows purpose, direction. Why are we that? chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own uh, possession, that in order that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and light. So we've got to get back at some point to understanding the relationship of the spiritual life cycle to the physical life cycle. And I, I think as much as we try to encourage and motivate people toward personal evangelism and provide them ways and means, we got to make people feel obligated that this is a part of who we should be. If you think about it, on the physical side of things, reproduction occurs somewhat naturally. When we reach a level of maturity, reproduction is generally going to take place. Why isn't it that way on the spiritual side of things? And it should be. But we've allowed people to feel comfortable 
divorcing themselves from the idea of spiritual maturity being tied to the spiritual reproduction. So, you know, just to finish this up, if you get to the, the end of the physical life cycle, after that maturity and reproduction, death is involved. But there's a, there's a physical legacy that's left behind that continues because of that maturity and reproduction. Well, if we translate that over to the spiritual side, we don't die spiritually, obviously, but after we're gone, there's a spiritual legacy that's left behind and continues with this life cycle, this spiritual life cycle of reproduction. Now, I, you know, I, I've been talking a, a lot, but unless something prevents it, the physical life cycle continues somewhat naturally and normally. And I want to see us get to a point where the spiritual life cycle matches and corresponds to that for everyone, because I think it should. It's a normal part of our spiritual lives to be conceived, to gestate, to be born, to mature, to reproduce before we die. So good. Uh, I might steal that and use it in a sermon here soon, but I think it's on our website somewhere if you can find it. So help yourself. Uh, but so much of what you said there is so true. And uh, but a word that you used, I think you is that was it that big old word that obligated to talk to about yeah you know, to teach people that they're obligated. If you I have, that, if I have to do something and I understand that I'm supposed to do something. I generally find ways to do it. And I think it's true for all of us. Oh, no, you're, you're exactly right. And uh, you know what? It's your it's, uh, everything you said there is true, but you're hitting a bunch of hot buttons with me. But it's uh, number one, I wonder, and it would be just pure speculation. So why haven't things like this continued to be taught? Why, like you said, we've allowed each other to become comfortable and, and set up almost a standard or a model where there is no obligation other than, and I'm being, I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully here, other than our obligation and, and responsibility to be at, at worship service and, and to be there those particular times. But so, so little, we sing about it, we talk about it, uh, of letting our light shine and go out here and do these things, but, but it's somehow there's a disconnect. Uh, where there's not that disconnect, there is with some on the physical side, but you're right on the spiritual side. We've, we've, uh, I'm going to say it bluntly, and that's part of the reason why I've been motivated to do these is that we've got to get to work. We've got to wake up. We got to realize that, you know, the Lord's coming again, and we don't know when that's going to take place. But uh, uh, in your whole legacy thing, you start out telling the story about some of the people that had influence on you when you were a young boy. Uh, there, those people, those men and those women that touched you uh, from a standpoint of all the, the spiritual things, they, their legacy still works on you, doesn't it? I mean, you still remember those. You're still motivated by those people to, to, uh, to fulfill your obligation. My parents both have passed away since we've moved here. But those words, you know, I, I find and my Don and I talk about this often, how how often my dad comes out my mouth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
But my mother's words have stayed in my head and in my heart ever since she spoke them that, you know, and again, a mother's pride, we can debate whether or not I have a good mind or not, but she said I had a good one and that I needed to utilize it in ways that were beneficial on the spiritual side of things. And, you know, that obligation, that's a key word to me. Very key. Yeah. A lot of the guys that you you've interviewed and, and, they're right. We need to find ways to motivate and to encourage. But one of the things that we as preachers have failed is to teach this as an obligation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, how do congregations grow? Well, they, they hire a young energetic preacher who's good at personal evangelism. Well, that only takes you so far as many of these guys have pointed out. Yes. But if we understand the physical life cycle relates directly or the spiritual life cycle relates directly to the spiritual one. And I think that's true in so many ways throughout the text, not only with the parables, but Jesus taught his disciples that if you're going to really be my disciple, you bear much fruit, John 15 and eight. And so we've divorced ourselves or allowed ourselves to be divorced from the concept of the obligation of personal evangelism. First Peter well, 2, 9, I'm all of those things as a Christian that I may proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yeah. The responsibility, the obligation to proclaim, that's not just the preacher's role, is it? It's all, it's the responsibility of all of us. And, uh, I think I mentioned this the other day, many have heard this, but, you know, God told Adam and Eve uh, after the creation there to be fruitful and multiply. In, in essence, that's what he's telling us as Christians is to be, fruit, to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, that's been lost. And so many of the things that uh, some of the interviews that we've done, we've got information that we're pulling together, documentation that's being done on the number of churches that are closing every month the number of Christians that are leaving congregations every week. And, uh, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's a blessing in all this COVID uh, with all the things that we've been through, but to help us to wake up here to realize we got to start looking at some things maybe differently. This, this old way of this old pattern. Now I'm not talking about changing the scripture, changing the gospel. No, I'm talking of course. what the work, the work that we do on a, uh, on a congregation level and individual level uh, and I'm hoping that through some of these conversations, we can help stir each other up to look at this different. And I'm hearing this, and I know you are too, of congregations that are rethinking everything. The, the simple thing, like the times of service, the, uh, the order of things, uh, the different using technology at a level that per, perhaps has never been done before, uh, certainly uh, in my life, uh, to, to look at all the things. And it's a fast-paced thing that's going on. But uh, we've got so many opportunities here to proclaim, and, and we just need to, to get busy, you know. But Matt just held up his – got just a couple of minutes left here, Philip. But tell us real quick, if you would. I've been calling it a conversion story. Uh, if you would share – I know you got a bunch, but is there one that maybe comes to mind that you'd like to share with everyone? Yeah, the one I told you about the other day. Uh, yes. Several years ago, I was in a small East Texas town, and there was a local newspaper, this town of 13,000, 
there was a local newspaper that contacted me and asked me if I was interested, the editor called, if I was interested in writing an article for the paper each week to appear in the religion section. And I said, well, that depends. She said, what, what, what are your concerns? I can't pay you. I said, money's not the issue. She said, so what are, you, what are your issues? I said, well, one, are you going to edit it? And she said, no. And I said, two, can I write what I want? And she said, well, yeah, as long as it's a Bible subject. Well, that began me writing a weekly article in the paper for which we didn't pay anything. Seven to 800 words, middle of the page, banner above it, my picture in there, the church's information, right in the center of the page, the religion section every week. Well, small town paper dying over, so they went through several editors. And uh, I think I told you the other day, when they first changed the editors, I took the next one out to lunch. But after two or three changes, I stopped buying the new one lunch to see if they would last. <laughs> but eventually, I would email these articles into the paper each week. And, and there were people all over the area that, that knew who I was, knew where that congregation was because of those articles. And I would try to make little comments as I emailed the article into the editor each week about, uh, you know, how are you doing this week, whatever, just trying to make conversations. She never answered them. She would just print, take the article, print it, and go on. Well, eventually, and it took probably close to a year, she sent me an email back and asked me a Bible question. I think it was about holidays, religious observance of holidays. And, and we've all been asked that question dozens of times. And, and I could have, you know, given the stock standard answer, but I took the time and wrote her out a detailed answer of why we didn't observe Christmas and Easter as religious holidays and all those kind of things. Well, it just so happened she didn't think we should be doing that. So that kind of struck a chord. And she said, can I ask you another question? And this is all via email. And I said, well, of course. I don't even remember what that question was, but I answered it. But I included, would you like to get together and study with me some? And she said, yes, I would. We studied for five or six weeks and I baptized her because she started reading that. Now, I know newspapers are passing away. But one of the things that we learned from COVID and one of the blessings, if you want to consider it that, is what we can accomplish through electronic media. Yes. So don't discount those opportunities that we get where someone may ask a question that you've answered hundreds of times before and you don't think it's going to lead anywhere. Well, it might. We've got to pay attention. And that's the thing that I think we need to do is listen for those clues. And the other thing is, you know, we pray all the time for opportunities to lead some soul to Christ today. Well, I think we need to include within that, Lord, help me to recognize the opportunities that you already give me every day. Yes. Whether it's the lady at the coffee shop, whether it's somebody that I have contact with on a semi-regular basis. Here was a weekly contact via email that led to a soul putting on Christ. And, and that's, that's not about me. That's about the power of the gospel when we use it correctly. And when we look for those opportunities and, and take advantage of those opportunities. You're yeah, probably that, more that, than five minutes up. Matt's probably that, already mad at us. That's all right. That's all right. He, uh, I start to say he gets mad all the time, but that's not true. He doesn't at all. 
But uh, he's, we, he's used I, to doing this with preachers and how how good are right. we at not going over? Yeah, and we never look at the clock, or we don't. Uh, people, no, never mind. But I mentioned this the other day. Uh, this came up in, uh, I think, it when we interviewed Benjamin Lee. Uh, state he was talking about something, and and the idea that he presented was, well, what if he was talking about a lady that, that you mentioned a checkout lady at a grocery store, and that ended up uh, obeying the gospel. What if he had never started that conversation with her? But exactly. Uh, it, I wanted to plug this in here real quick. What if the editor had never called you? What if she had never called you in the first place? What if when she asked you to do that, you said, no, I'm too busy. I don't have time to do that. Uh, or, just, or just giving her a stock answer to get rid of her. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and then what if you had never taken it that step further where everybody, so many people get uncomfortable? Would you be willing to sit down in person and talk about this? And she said, yes. So, yeah, we need to... Uh, we pray and we sing all the time for God to give us opportunities. And uh, I just, uh, I don't understand. I don't understand God's patience. I, I, I just, uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, thank, thank God that he is that patient, but because uh, uh, he puts people, I mean, he answers our prayers all the time and he just has to shake his head and say, why don't they get it? Why don't they see this? But uh, so Lord, forgive us and help us here. All right. One, one thing, and we'll end it with this. Uh, well, maybe let's do this first. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, Philip, would you mind sharing contact information if they wanted to talk to you more about something that you said? Sure. Uh, email address, and it's the same one I've had for years. It's mrpcstrong at hotmail. Okay, good. mrpcstrong at hotmail. And then they can reach us reach me also through our church website which sends me an email when you leave a message that's south uh, southport c of c dot org okay great thank you on there and resources obviously okay we're finding a lot of people are doing that because they want to hear more from uh, what's the all right one thing you're somebody's been listening today and you've got them stirred up you've got them excited you got them realizing they do have an obligation and there's more than one thing. We say this every episode, but if you had to, to say something to somebody, what would be one thing that they need to do or learn how to do to get involved in leading others to Christ? Pray for opportunities and wisdom to recognize them. Uh, those opportunities are already there. I, I think what Jesus said in John 4 is still true. The fields are white for harvest. Yes. I mean, on a daily basis, we interact with people that are lost yes, and will probably remain that way unless we at least try or attempt to lead them to Christ. You know, we baptized, I think, three girlfriends of our boys when they were going to school. Yes. That none of them wound up being daughters-in-law and that's fine, but, but, but there were, there were two or three Christians that were made simply because these boys invited them, these, these potential girlfriends to come to church with them. That was part of who they were. We need to understand that we have contact with people every day that need the gospel. Yes. That we can help. You don't have to preach for 35 years to be able to tell someone else what you did in order to become a Christian. 
And that's basically what it is. That's spiritual reproduction at its simple level. It should be normal. It should be natural. It should match that life cycle when we consider the or compare the physical to the spiritual. Yeah, it's a natural process that God set in motion, and and uh, we've got to re- we've got to reactivate that as we said earlier. All right, brother, thank you so much, Philip, for doing this. And uh, I know Donna's in Texas, but be sure and tell her we said hi. And uh, I want to give her a shout out because I know that she's been very influential uh, uh, with you and your life and in your work. You could not have done the things that you've done without Donna's help. Is that true, brother? Absolutely. And not only that, she's the one that really got me started on personal evangelism. She grew up in a denominational home and, and I'm dating this girl. We're getting more serious. And, you know, there were many times when I came home or brought her home from a date, she had to be home at 1030. We were engaged to be married and she had to be home at 1030. So we would come home back to her house and I'd sit in the middle of the floor and her parents and and some of her siblings and in-laws, we would have Bible discussions. And, you know, Donna was the one that was, was baptized out of all of that, but that's what got me started down this personal evangelism road. Yeah. I remember her telling that story to one of you when we went out to eat that time. And so I wanted to, I almost forgot it where, but be sure and tell her uh, we love her and appreciate all the work that she does. And all right, well, we've got to go. Thank you again so much, Philip, for taking the time to do this. And we will be following up with you uh, on other projects that we're working on, but keep up your good work. And, and yes, I will call you and buy your lunch sometime here soon. So, all right. So thank, thanks so much again. All right. Thanks. I enjoyed being with you and it was an honor for, to be asked to participate. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today.